Amen and amen. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. What great music we've had. I hope that you'll tell Derek uh, how much you've enjoyed the variety we've had these few months and what a blessed uh, musical package we've had this morning. Well, I want to preach to you this morning out of the book of Colossians, the first chapter of Colossians, beginning with verse 12. While you're finding that, I would uh, remind you of our Christmas Eve service tomorrow. I did have somebody ask me, not, not in this room, by the way, I did have somebody ask me what day our Christmas Eve service was on. I told them that I thought this year we were going to have it on December 24th, and they were, seemed to be good with that. I hope they come. <laughs> Six o'clock to seven o'clock, we'll be very, uh, very uh, considerate of the time. Uh, it'll be a wonderful service. Not only will we have great music, we will take uh, uh, Holy Communion together. Uh, we will close out with a candlelight service and... Uh, the, the Odie family will sing for us. If you've heard them sing, you know you're in for quite a treat as we honor, as we honor the birth of our Savior. Well, this is a tough Sunday always for me to preach. What do you preach about after you've been preaching about Christmas for a month? I don't know how you other pastors in, uh, in your careers dealt with it, but it's a little difficult to, to me for me, uh, but uh, uh, only, in, only in one way. Uh, today I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to be, remind you that Jesus is not only the reason for the season, it's all about Jesus. And sometimes in the midst of hustle and bustle, of all, uh, we can forget that message. And so I want to read to you from the book of Colossians, not necessarily a Christmas passage, but it ought to be. If you'd follow along, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, Paul begins in mid-sentence, in verse, or mid-thought in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning of the, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now Jesus has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusations, and may we say amen to the holy Word of God today. Well, Christmas Sunday is a, is a, 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 a different Sunday from the anticipation of the coming of, of Christmas and the Christ child. Our society has embraced this season pretty significantly. Uh, many of us have started uh, uh, around Thanksgiving time with decorations, unless you're a retailer, and that started after Labor Day, by the way. <laughs> I was shocked to see this year. But we decorate and we, we, get, we involve ourselves in such a busy schedule, decorating outside, decorating inside. We formulate our list of who to give gifts to, and we spend uh, weeks uh, 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 running around gathering them or, or ordering them online these days. Uh, we wrap and we plan and we, we uh, uh, 
figure out what we're going to do on the, on the, as we count down to the, to the day we celebrate the actual birth of Christ, Christmas Day. Food to prepare, food to procure, families together. I'm, I'm always amazed at the significance of how this is such a family-oriented time. If you don't believe that, get out in the shopping areas and look around and go to the restaurants and look around. And it's so family-oriented. It's, it's, it's really unique in, in a society that seems to have the families kind of coming apart at the seams. It, it's all brought together uh, at this time of the year. And we eat and we sing and we read Scripture and we hear children's productions and we go to Christmas parades and such a wide variety of, atmos- of activities that December can be a grueling month if we're not careful. And uh, in our church, we've sung the songs of Christmas. We have read the songs of, uh, we've read the stories of, of Christmas events, coming of the Christ child events. We, through our Advent process, we've looked at the major uh, attributes of uh, Christ in this season and we've talked about hope and the the anticipation of the hope of His coming and the anticipation of the peace He brings to all of us. Christ does give us peace in our hearts in the midst of what's happening around us. Praise His name. We talk about faith and, and, and uh, joy and uh, all the things Christmas-related, but it's interesting to me that on these few days before the actual day of Christmas and Christmas Eve, how things kind of quieten down. If you have not uh, finished with all of your activities, you don't have much time left. I always enjoy going to the mall on Christmas Eve and seeing a bunch of single men walking around with a kind of a clueless look on their face, and, and uh, I try not to be one of them, <laughs> but just kind of watch the whole spectacle of, the, of that segment of humanity as they finally realize they can't put it off any longer, it's coming, and they better get ready. It's easy, though, in the midst of all of that to lose the reality and the meaning, even for a little while, of what this season is all about. It is about Jesus. I'm glad for decorations, but I'm more happy for Jesus. Glad for presents, but I'm more happy for Jesus. Glad for all the family time and the food and the things that are prepared that are unique and different from the rest of the time of the year, but I'm more thankful for Jesus. And I want to talk to you about that today. I've been fascinated again this year as I've read the story of the coming of Christ and all the events, and <clears throat> as Luke tells us, especially focused on the, the, the old innkeeper and the statement, because there was no room in the end for them. I saw it differently than, I, than I, I think I've seen it in past years. I had to learn this passage of Scripture in the second grade. Part of our test, if you can believe that, in public school was to memorize the story of Jesus coming according to Luke's gospel. And I think sometimes I read it, in my, I read it out loud in the way that I've focused in my mind. I've always thought the innkeepers turned them away because there was no room for him in the end. But that's not what Luke says. Luke says they placed Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And it brings the question uh, to my mind this day, where is Jesus in your life? What place do you give Him in your life? Because a great percentage of the world's population never lets Jesus get out of the manger. We celebrate Him, and we sing about Him, and we, we acknowledge that this time of the year. People of all faiths, and people of no real faith. But for much of the world today, Jesus never gets out of the, they never let Him get out of the manger. 
And they failed to realize the Son of God in flesh before them who grew and lived as a man in this life, both human and both divine, and paid the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of our lives so that we might be able to live with Him forever. Experience real freedom today. Experience freedom in living, freedom in God. And though we live in the world, we are not of the world. And though we're not exempt from the stuff of the world, we have a Savior who helps guide us through all of life. And His name is Jesus. Part of the problem our world has is they have no room in their lives for Jesus as well. And folks, I remind you of what you already know. We miss the significance of this season and the significance of God's greatest gift. If we don't let Jesus out of the manger and into our lives, not just as a visitor, but as an advocate, as a controller, as the Lord of our lives to guide and direct us through the pitfalls of life. I want to remind you there are many the Bible says the devil does not sleep. Uh, does, the Bible says the devil does not take a day off. He is he is walking around to and fro as a lion trying to devour who he would. He is out for your marriage. He is out to destroy your house, your home. He's out to destroy your relationship with your kids and everything about you. If we let him, God has to be the center of our lives to to defeat the wiles of the the enemy that's out for us. And if we keep Jesus in the manger. We never put Him in a place in our lives to handle Him and do for us what we so desperately need through all of life. Part of the misunderstanding, I think, comes from our concept of the inn of the in and the innkeeper. And as a young child, I remember thinking very bad thoughts about the innkeeper. How in the world could he turn the very Son of God away? And, and we've, uh, we've had disparaging comments about the innkeeper, but in reality, there's no evidence the innkeeper was a bad guy at all. The innkeeper was reporting the current conditions of his day. It's hard for us in our Western civilization to get into our minds what, a, what an ancient primitive inn was. Uh, we, we think of it as a Holiday Inn or Hampton Inn or a scaled-down, stripped-down version of, of a, a Motel 6 or something like that, but no amenities, just a basic room, but it wasn't even that. By the way, when I travel and seek hotel lodging and, and lodging in some kind of uh, a place like this, I want to know, first of all, how much it costs, and secondly, I want to know what they have for me there. What are the amenities? And uh, make my decision based on those. But the end spoken of by Luke was far different than that. It really was just probably a, 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 a simple room, a larger-than-usual room, maybe two rooms, where, where travelers could come and find shelter for the night. Darkness was a dangerous time in the ancient society. The bad guys came out at night. They might have been out in the daylight as well, but they really came forward in the night, and it was dangerous to be outside. I was reminded of that one time on a trip to Africa when we were showing the Jesus film out, literally out in the middle of nowhere, and in a big field with uh, with grass about knee about waist high, and and invited the children to to uh, uh, to come at dark and see something they had never seen before. And without, ex I was expecting great enthusiasm, but they didn't have any. And as I began to talk to the people who would talk to me with an interpreter, the young girl said, "We don't come out at night; it's too dangerous today." There are roving bands of young men that seek to prey on us, and it is dangerous, and we, as soon as it gets dark, or before even that, we get behind locked doors for protection. It's hard to believe that there are places like that in the world today, but that was the place everywhere 
in Luke's time and in this time frame. And so Bethlehem consisted of a few buildings probably during the time of Jesus. It was a tiny little town. We would call it a village or a hamlet or maybe not even that at all. And in the middle of all that was a man who had a room or two rooms. He rented out for the night so those travelers could come and take uh, protection from the darkness and all it contained. And more than likely what the innkeeper was said, instead of saying there's no room in the inn, more than likely he was saying, I have no more room to offer. Now, they're laid wall to wall. It was not wall to wall carpet, it was wall to wall people. And there's no room for anybody else to lay down and perhaps he even had some uh, compassion for them in, in directing them at least to a sheltered area where they could bed down for the night not knowing that the baby was coming uh, just at any time. And uh, perhaps what we think was a very discouraging thing that he did was in reality a, a thing of compassion. But it goes on to say the place we give Christ in our life. And I want to remind you again this Christmas day, this Christmas season, that we miss the significance of all of that if he's still in the manger, if we don't give him place in our lives and hearts. One of the problems we have in America today, even in Christian America today, is truly understanding who Jesus is. That's the key to understanding the, the, the miracle of Christmas to know who exactly is this Jesus. Some world religions acknowledge him. Many say he was a good man. Many say he was a great teacher. Many say he was equal to the philosophers of the day. The difference is in identifying him as the very son of God. And that is a key to, to understanding Jesus and to let him into our lives and realize what a great blessing he is. We have to understand who Jesus is. I read this week again of a Christmas production that a large church had. You know, Christmas productions are always amazing and wonderful and funny and kids say the strangest things and sometimes the truth of what they say is so pure that, that, it, that it grips you right to the heart when you think about it. In fact, it's always hard to follow a child when you're a speaker. A child or animals don't ever follow either one. It's hard to, it's hard to top them, but this church had their production of the Christmas story and, and from the children's department, and they had for some months uh, divvied up parts and decided who would be the shepherds and who would be the wise men and who would be Mary and Joseph and who would be the angels and all those kinds of things. And they begin to practice. <clears throat> and practice and practice. They knew their lines. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew where they were to stand. And finally the day of uh, the pageant uh, came uh, to being. It was different this time though for the kids on the stage because the auditorium was now full of people where it had been empty. And it caught several of them by attention. By, by, uh, it caught their attention, several of them in a new way. And they were focused on their lines, and finally it came to the time of the play where Mary and Joseph came and knocked on the innkeeper's door, and the innkeeper was supposed to open the door and say, I have no room, there's no room in the inn for you. But seeing his friend playing Joseph, and seeing a girl that they had all known and gone to church with playing Mary, and seeing her with a pillow stuffed under her, her, her robe, and it signifying a pregnant stomach, he was so moved by all of that, that he just didn't think he could say the line. And he froze when he opened the door. 
Instead of saying, I have no room, in the end tonight, he just froze. And it almost seemed to cry. His lip began to quiver. And, and the, the director was sitting on the front row, and she began to whisper, there is no room in the end. And he just stood there, and she, she began to say it again. And the third time said it where just about everybody could hear. And finally, the innkeeper realized he had to say it. And with great anguish, as if his heart was breaking, he said to them, there is no room in the end tonight. But then his eyes brightened and he said, but hey, you can come share my room if you want to. And the pastor got up and said, what a great, what a great lesson in what we ought to be doing. Come and share, come and take over, come and be the center of our lives. That's who Jesus is. Well, I read this week an assessment by a, a, a longtime pastor of the past. He writes it better than I can say it. And so I'm going to read this to you. Uh, this guy's named Blanchard, and he estimates that of all the people who have ever lived since the dawn of civilization, it is now in the billions. Billions of people have walked on this earth. Billions of people have been alive and, and uh, going through the physical life. But he says only a handful have made any real lasting impression. Only a handful of the billions have actually changed the world. And in that handful of people... There is one who stands head and shoulders above all others, and his name is Jesus. More attention has been given to him. More devotion has been given to him. More criticism has been given to him. More adoration has been given to him. More opposition has been given to this one person than, than all of the others together. Every recorded word Jesus said has been more, more shifted, more sifted, analyzed, scrutinized, debated. Every word more than all of the other historians and philosophers and other billions of people that have ever lived together. Yet he was here 2,000 years ago. And after 2,000 years, there is still never one minute on this earth that millions are not studying his word and what he said and thinking about what he said. Here's a person who lived in a minuscule, tiny land over 2,000 years ago. And yet his birth divides the centuries he never wrote a book that we know of, and yet library after library could fill with the volumes and multiplied millions of volumes that have been written about him. He never painted a picture as far as we know, yet the world's greatest art and the world's greatest dramas and the world's greatest music, the world's greatest literature has Jesus Christ of Nazareth as its source. He never raised an army as far as we know, yet multiplied millions have died for him. He never traveled very far from his birthplace Yet his testimony has gone around and around the world. A ministry of only three short years. And yet here we are more than 2,000 years later saying, Jesus, your name is wonderful because his name is. He had no formal education. He didn't attend seminary or universities. And yet thousands of universities and seminaries and colleges and schools are built in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus has had more effect on the history of mankind than any other of his race who ever existed. To explain Jesus is impossible. To ignore him is disastrous. To reject him is fatal. To understand who Jesus Christ is and to know his love and to trust him is to trust him radically and dramatically and eternally and be changed and transformed by him forever. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the coming King again. All the world moves to the point when Christ will burst through the eastern skies. And no matter where people have stood and what they think about their own opinion, every knee will recognize that He is the Son of God. And He wants to live in our hearts and lives. And the place we give Jesus, even though it's debated widely, 
widely. The place we give Jesus in our lives makes all the difference in the world. He is the Son of God, God wrapped in flesh, God clothed in flesh, who appeared and lived the life that we live so that He would be able to help us through all of life. He is Lord of all. That's what Paul was saying in the book of Colossians as he talks about God's sending of Christ into the world. I want to remind you that Jesus wants to live in our lives and direct us. Part of the confusion about who Jesus is comes with the circumstances of his coming. By the way, prophets under the direction and inspiration of God prophesied Jesus' coming for hundreds and thousands of years down to the very last detail. There were religious men through the centuries that studied those prophecies and could dictate them and could tell everything about them. But they missed his coming because the circumstance surrounding his birth was so different than what they thought it would be for a king. We get in our minds how God is going to work. And sometimes we miss out on what God is doing for us because it's different than the way we thought it would be. I thought this week about, uh, about uh, the uh, kids being born in the family over, as they say, across the pond in England. Think of the paparazzi that's there when, when uh, one of the boys gets married and think of the anticipation of when a pregnancy is announced. They stand outside Windsor Castle by the hundreds watching and waiting and hoping and longing and it becomes a dominant theme in the news and the tabloids all wonder what kind of child, what, what will, it will be a boy or a girl or what the name will be and when the birth comes, they come in great swarms of people everywhere hoping to see hoping to hear, hoping to get a glance of what a baby born in a royal setting is really all about. And think of the coming of Jesus, rejected from the time of his birth, far away from home, born in a barn, laid to rest in a, in a feeding trough, clothed in rags, peasant parents, no education, and no prosperity, Jesus never owned anything that we knew of. He died a pauper. Uh, he, he seemed to be the antithesis of what the world believed greatness would be like. And people from the centuries on have misunderstood about Jesus because he came in a most unusual setting. But that does not change who he is. He is still the Christ child, the very Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sacrifice for our sins, the, the deliverer that we would have, that we would need he is everything, and He is our hope. Christ is the true Son of God. And how we miss the significance if we don't understand that. I go back to Paul's dis discussion and description in the book of Colossians under the writing of the Holy Spirit. He is the one in whom we find redemption and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the creator, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. He is the acknowledger of the powers of the world, the thrones, the powers, the rulers, the authorities. They were all created by him and for him and approved by him. He is before all things. He is, the, he is without beginning. He is without ending. He is the one who holds all things in our world and universe together. I'm amazed at the complexity of the world we live in. 
I'm amazed at the rotation of the sun and the moon and the tides and, and, and the way our, our, our world and universe functions. I'm amazed at the com- complexities of the human body. He is the one who holds it all together. He is the head of the body, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things on earth or through things in heaven by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Once Paul reminds us we were all alienated from God. We were enemies because of our behavior. But now because Jesus has come, he has reconciled us through his physical death so that we might be presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. As my friend Stephen King likes to say, he is large and he is in charge. As our friend Curtis Germany used to say, God wins. And if you want to be on the winning side, we let him out of the manger and we invite him into our hearts. And the Christ child grows to be the savior of every one of us. We have a home in heaven because of him. And in fact, Because Jesus came into our world, we have the opportunity to enter into his world. And everyone ought to say amen, amen for a wonderful Savior, mighty God, who is able to deliver, a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, head of government. And one day it will all be made clear, no matter what the critics say, Do you let him live in your heart and life? A great time of the year to examine your spiritual walk and make sure that he has everything, that he's not a visitor, but he is sitting on the throne of our lives, and we trust him. I was a teenager in the late 60s when the hippie movement kind of took prominence in America. Uh, A group uh, out in California, it started, I guess, Haight-Ashbury, that intersection, was kind of ground zero for the hippie movement. They, They checked out. They, uh, I don't even remember the phrase. <laughs> they just kind of withdrew from society. They, they were struggled against the man, and the man was anybody who, I guess, wanted to have some responsibility over them and around them. And uh, out, of the, out of that, they, they had long hair, and they wore uh, anti-establishment clothes and spoke a different language, and it was an interesting time in America. Out of that hippie movement came the Jesus movement. As some of you are old enough to remember, you'll remember those things, the Jesus movement, and their followers were called the Jesus freaks. They kind of looked like hippies, long hair, weird clothes, said, uh, spoke weird things, traveled around in masses, and they would go, these uh, Jesus freaks would go from town to town conducting rallies for Jesus. And, uh, it was an interesting time uh, uh, when, uh, when this group of people so were on fire for God, they wanted to tell everybody, everywhere, everything there was about God. And one of the questions that came out of that, I thought as a teenager was really dumb. They would say to people, instead of saying, if you die tonight, do you know where you'll spend eternity? The question would be this, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would the prosecutor find enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christ follower. As a teenager, I kind of thought that was a dumb thing to, to say and, and do, but, but, but as I've gotten older and think about it, it's the essence of what it is. We're not a Christian just because we say we are, 
We're not a Christian just we don't prove our Christianity by our mouths. We prove our Christianity by our lives. And the fact of the matter is, if there's not enough evidence, hard evidence, that an independent third-party person could not gain about our lives to, to prove our, our, our uh, allegiance to God, something is out of place in our life. Jesus said one of these days, I'm going to do that, by the way, in the great day. Many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus is going to say, who in the world are you? Well, he didn't say it that way in Scripture, but I don't know who you are. And they said, sure you do. We did all these kinds of things in your name. We've fasted and we've prayed and we've done all these things. And Jesus said, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. There is not enough tangible evidence from your actions to prove that you are one of mine. And you will be barred forever. And then to those, he said, enter in, a good and faithful servant. He describes him, you remember, in many ways. When you saw a person in need, you helped them. You clothed the sick. You fed the hungry you visited those when they were in prison, whether real or not, a reality of prison or just in prison in some circumstance, you gave a cup of cold water in my name. And the evidence is there. You are mine. Enter into your rest. Well, on this uh, now just a few hours before Christmas Day, our Christmas Day celebration, Christmas Eve service, I want to remind you that he came in the world as a baby, helpless totally dependent upon others in a humble way, in, a, in an ungraceful way. But he didn't stay in the manger. He went on to live a life of great opposition. But the battle was won on the cross when he shed his blood for every one of us and said to God, it is finished. And now God raised him from the dead and set him above in a place above all names. He stands at the right hand of God, making intercession for all of us. And we have hope today in God as our Savior because of the Christ child and the sacrifice that he made. The innkeeper said rightly, I have no more room left, but we must make sure there's room in our hearts and lives today for him. If you're glad for Jesus today, would you say amen? Thank the Lord for what he does for us and what he will continue to do for us as we trust him. Well, Derek's going to come and we're going to close with a, with a, a closing uh, with the closing uh, chorus, I guess it is. Do you remember what page it would be? 27. I'm the one who told him who picked this. I just can't remember the number of it is. It's if you're in your hymnal, page 27, if you want to find it, we'll have it on the screen. Let's stand and sing a great, a great statement of praise together as we conclude this service.